hey guys, it's Ryan. Um, I'm here with a quick little extra intro before I jump into the real one to say, um, sorry this episode's late. It actually wasn't my fault this time. I was actually on set to have it out a day early. Not out, but like ready to go, uploaded, scheduled to release Friday like normal for like the first time in a month. And then my hard drive exploded and lost everything. Yay! So I'm just gonna for, um, the sake of a better mood, leave in the intro I was going to use that week because I also think it's fun what I said about like the, the game release date, which is no longer true. I don't know, it's just funny to me, and I feel like it would be better to um jump into something a little less pessimistic than uh all my files are gone. I recovered what I could, but I had to rework this episode. It was annoying, and I'm sorry for the lateness. I really was trying my hardest to be on time this time. But let's, uh, let's go into it. Woo! Yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of... I want to watch the very best because God of Watch was taken. I'm your friendly neighborhood Lapras, Ryan Geyser, here to take you across the Orange Islands. Just wait, it's gonna be a blast. So, when this comes out, it actually should be the release day for Scarlet Violet, and that's pretty cool. It's the time for a new Pokemon game, mainline, and pretty rad. I'm actually a little bit bummed. I wanted to go to the midnight release of it in New York City, but they ran out of slots like two hours after it opened, and I was just too late to grab one, so... Eh. I'm at least hoping they still have the Splatoon shirts. They probably don't, but I'm gonna call ahead and see if they do, and if they do... I'm driving four and a half hours to New York City to get a shirt in the Pokemon game. And you know, part of it is to see how they set up the store and just all the decorations for Pokemon and stuff. I kind of want to see that too. It sounds fun. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see when the day comes. Yay! It also is absolutely freezing in my house and my room is the coldest part of the house. And I just can't get warm. And I have not been sleeping great because of it. I'm trying my best to... Keep my toesy woesies warm, but they are falling off. So pray that uh, Floyd Coco comes to my house and warms me up without committing arson on my house. We are also actually almost on the Orange Islands. After this, there are five more episodes. And I'm still not really sure how I'm going to handle those five episodes. Uh, I'm torn between making the last one all five episodes and maybe being another day late again. Um, I could also do another introspective after the one episode, but I wouldn't really have much more to say about Gen 1, and I kind of want to save Gen 2's introspective for the start of Gen 2. So, I gotta figure that out before, uh, next Friday, but I'll, I'll do my best to figure it out. Um, it shouldn't be too hard. I'm sure I'll think of something, and it will all be resolved. I also want to real quick thank you guys for the support on the Lugia episode, I don't know what really happened. Alex didn't share it yet, and I just woke... I don't really know what happened. I just woke up and checked my stats, and suddenly it was at, like, 168 downloads, which was an all-time high for an episode. And Alex said that he didn't share it anywhere, so I'm still not sure where all of you came from, but I sincerely appreciate it. And I hope you continue to stick around and enjoy what I do, because I try really hard on it. Wink. Okay, that should be everything for today, so let's get right into today's episode, and we're gonna start with this episode, go! Episode 108, Pokemon Double Trouble! 
Synopsis. Finally arriving at the fourth and final Orange League gym, Ash learns that his challenge this time is to engage in a double battle. But will the Pokemon he chooses even be able to work together? Our heroes arrive on the luxurious resort Kumquad Island, home to the fourth and final Orange crew member. So even if Ash loses and acts like a baby, at least we'll be in a nice place. What do you mean if Ash loses? Just once, can't you guys have a little confidence in me? Uh, sure, Ash. In fact, we have as little confidence in you as possible. <laughs> Thanks, Misty. A bunch of barkers promoting hotels crowd the dock, but one especially loud pink-haired woman echoes out over all of them. Misty insists that they hurry and get a room before they're all gone, Ash complaining that they're here for a gym match, not a vacation. Tracy then sides with Misty, and says that the two of them will have fun without Ash being a party pooper then. Tracy quickly apologizes to a depressed Ash, and says that maybe they should look around the beach for a bit. The pink-haired woman then spots the three, homing in on Ash and muttering, My boy. She then charges towards Ash, arms wide, grabbing him in a hug. Freeing himself, Ash asks who she is, the woman wondering why her son Travis doesn't remember her. Ash explains that he is Ash, already having a mom somewhere else. This is also the second, and I don't think the last time, that Ash is mistaken as someone else's kid and hugged right into their boobs. The woman embarrassedly apologizes, explaining that her son both looks like Ash and even has a Pikachu as well, having left on his own Pokemon journey not that long ago. Just as the group continues to discuss how oddly similar the two boys sound, a scream rings out. Turning, the group sees a giant mechanical Rhydon rise from the sea. A speaker pops out, Team Rocket revealing themselves with a motto. Keeping in line with their desire to be environmentally friendly, except for all those fires and stuff they start sometimes, the mecha is run by Pokemon, Arbok and Lickitung being whipped to run on treadmills powering the thing. The mouth then opens up, wheezing sitting inside of it. Jesse announces it's time for a powerful hyperbeam, a rubber hammer gently bonking wheezing as it smogs up the beach. What happened to the hyperbeam? I guess James never got around to teaching it that attack yet. Sorry. I should have known. We'll just have to make the best of it. Full smog ahead. It keeps launching smog at all the beachgoers, nearly crushing them and causing mayhem. I just love this! The smog is causing an absolute panic! Yes, but didn't we come here to steal the Pikachu from that kid? <laughs> yes, that's true, James. But I found something I'm actually good at and I'm having a wonderful time! I think you could use a hobby! Hail the conquering Rhydon! Ash steps out in front of the machine, causing Team Rocket to stop instead of just running him over like they probably would have done normally. Ash says it's not fair to attack innocent people, Jesse saying she knows and that's why she's doing it, before having Arbok switch out with Weezing and Poison Sting Ash. Right before Ash is hit, the woman's Alakazam jumps in front of the boy, blocking the attack with Reflect. 
The woman then warns Team Rocket to go away or suffer her wrath. Ash tries to stop her, warning that the villains are dangerous, but she assures the boy she'll be fine. Jessie then gets absolutely bodied. Just get out of my way, Grandma! I wouldn't call her Grandma if I were you, you old witch! <laughs> Did she call me? Oh! Don't listen to her, Jessie. Uh, what does she know about aging? Yeah, that's right, Jess. She ain't an expert like you. I'm not old! How dare you! Ash keeps pushing, but the woman tells him that as the Orange Crew gym leader, she'll be perfectly fine. I don't care if you're in the Orange Crew or the Grapefruit League. James, launch an all-out smog attack immediately! Oh my god, I'm sorry for all of the sound bites, but the Rockets just have too many good lines this episode. Wheezing is swapped back in, smoking the beach again. This attack backfires on them as Alakazam uses Psychic to close the Mecha's mouth, flooding the cockpit with smog. Through coughs, James orders Meowth to turn on the exhaust fans, but the cat says that they don't have any since the boss wouldn't pay for them. Ash then sends out Charizard, which uses Takedown to knock the ride on over. James then presses a button, telling a very confused and injured Arbok to use acid, burning a hole in the robot's belly. Uh, can't you do anything right, James? Apparently not. Yeah, mood. Charizard then uses Flamethrower in the opening, causing the robot to explode and launch the rockets off. After the gym leader, Luana compliments Ash on his work, the boy challenges her. She happily accepts, but smiles and warns that she won't go easy on him. She takes the trio to her hotel, where the gym is located. After requesting a free deluxe suite for the group, she shows them around, first leading them to a Pokemon aerobics class, and then to the battlefield. Luana then tells Ash the challenge. A double battle, two Pokemon from the same trainer battling at the same time. And, unless you count Team Rocket fights, this is the first time the concepts officially appeared in the anime. The only difference from double battles we may be used to by this point is that the match is decided when any one Pokemon is KO'd, not both of them. Ash proclaims his confidence for the battle, Luana giving him a firm pat on the back, saying, Yeah, that's the spirit! She then once again says how much he reminds her of her boy. Saying the match will be the next morning, she gives the group full access to the hotel's facilities in the meanwhile. And, since this is an anime, they immediately go to the hot springs. Ash tries to brainstorm what his team will be, knowing for certain he'll use Pikachu, but unsure who else to call out, figuring he'll just decide tomorrow. Tracy muses that the Alakazam from earlier will probably be one of the Pokemon she chooses, but Ash frustratedly notes that he doesn't have any bug or ghost types to give himself an advantage. Misty then makes an offhanded comment that without those types, he's in pretty hot water. Before Ash turns red and passes out from overheating, nearly drowning as his friends just watch and ask if he's okay while he's floating face down. After being fished out, Pikachu starts to fan him, Tracy making a poor taste joke about Ash not having to warm up for the fight. The next morning, Ash and Luana meet in the arena and are refereed by Eric Stewart using his Brock voice. This battle pits visiting Pallet Town trainer Ash Ketchum against Kumquat gym leader and Orange crew member Luana. The challenger stands to win a Jade Star badge. Interesting note I read. This is actually the first gym battle to have a referee, something that becomes really commonplace later. Before now, every single gym leader has self-refereed. 
Luana sends out Alakazam and Marowak, while Ash has finally decided on Pikachu and Charizard. The gym leader then wonders how well the two will work together. Moments before Charizard stomps the ground and trips Pikachu, causing both of them to fight, hitting each other with small attacks until Ash tries to break it up. The battle then officially begins, Pikachu trying to rush the two opponents. However, Charizard flamethrowers at them as well, missing the two opponents but accidentally hitting Pikachu. Ash yells for Charizard to tackle, but Alakazam counters with Psychic, mentally restraining Charizard. Ash tells Pikachu to help Charizard with Thunderbolt, so Pikachu promptly and aggressively electrocutes the lizard and not either of the opponents. Even when being yelled at by Ash, Pikachu gives a kind of like, well, they deserved it pose. Luana smirks at the lack of cooperation Ash's team has, hitting Charizard with a bone meringue. Alakazam then uses Psychic, lifting Charizard in the air again before dropping him right in the way of another bone meringue. Pikachu sees Charizard nearly dying on the ground, and despite Charizard pretty clearly not moving, Luana continues to insist that the battle isn't over, having Alakazam levitate Charizard once more. Ash yells at Pikachu to actually cooperate or else they all lose. Realizing that infighting isn't going to help, Pikachu takes the opportunity to hit a wide open Alakazam, causing it to drop the Psychic, allowing Charizard to gently land on its own. Before Ash can prematurely celebrate, Luana warns that the match isn't over yet, having Marowak use Body Slam on Pikachu. But before Pikachu can be knocked away too far, Charizard catches him in his wing, willing to cooperate as well. Pikachu jumps onto a gliding Charizard's back, flying closer to the opposing team and dodging a Bone Meringue. Pikachu then thunderbolts Marowak, momentarily stunning it despite it supposedly being completely immune to electricity because it's a ground type. Misty and Tracy worry that the attack did nothing, but Ash happily tells them that it stopped Marowak's attack. Luana then orders Alakazam to use Hyper Beam on Charizard. Luana then orders Alakazam to use Hyper Beam on Charizard, as the big lizard flies directly at the psychic type. But at the last second, Ash has Charizard pull up, moving out of the way of a stray returning Bone Meringue. Alakazam is hit right in the head, falling over and letting loose an uncontrolled Hyper Beam, which flies back and hits Marowak, simultaneously knocking both of them out and winning Ash the battle. Luana is momentarily surprised at her loss, but then gently smiles as Ash embraces and congratulates his Pokemon, praising their teamwork. His friends and Luana congratulate him as well, the leader handing him his fourth and final Orange League badge, the Jade Star Badge. Luana then tells Ash that he's earned the right to the final challenge of the Orange League, facing off against the leader of the Orange Crew. If he wins, he'll earn his own Orange League trophy. Luana saying he will, but only if his team works together, all of the kids agreeing. As our heroes prepare to leave later that day, Luana asks Ash to give her regards to her son if they ever meet, the boy promising he will. The two never meet, but it would have been cool if they did. Lapras then begins swimming away, Luana wishing Ash luck on his challenge as the trio waves goodbye. Before we suddenly cut to Team Rocket, stranded on a hunk of metal in the middle of the ocean. The other two challenge James' masculinity before Meowth wonders if the boss will look for them realizing that they'll actually be in deep trouble if he finds out about the expensive destroyed robot, they panic. 
Hey, look! A boat! Help! <laughs> what if it's the boss's boat? Oh, right. Help. And one final excellent line from Team Rocket this episode. Very good. Man, it's actually kind of a shame that some of the fun gym leaders are Orange Island originals. Like, imagine the theoretical Luana's gym in the games. A luxury hotel you have to go through, like that one Mario Sunshine level with all these trick panels and rooms. It'd be pretty rad. Honestly, I kind of wish the double battle was a bit longer, like at least half the episode. It really feels like it wasn't explored as well as it could have been for the first real official team battle in the series, and it showed so much promise too. But we do have the last bit of Charizard's growth before Gen 2 hits. You know, it took him long enough to start listening to Ash, but now he's finally fully cooperating with Ash's team, willing to compromise and work together so that they can all win together. Okay, that sounds a little bit corny saying out loud, but you know, it's true. This is kind of like the last bit of Charizard's arc. There's really only one last bit of it, and it's in Gen 2 when Charizard leaves the party eventually. Anyway, overall, a pretty decent episode. Plus, there was a Jinx scene in this one, but the dub managed to cut it without any drastic changes. So, in the end, I think we all won. But, will we all win with the next episode, or will it be another dud? Let's find out in... Episode 109, The Wacky Watcher! <laughs> Synopsis! Our heroes land on an island just in time to watch a Magikarp evolution event. Encountering an older, more experienced Pokemon Watcher, the trio is roped into being his assistants. Now with four badges in hand, Ash and his friends proceed towards the final Orange League challenge. Tracy collects some salt water in a bottle and assures a concerned Misty that it's purely for Pokemon research. The water bottle never comes up again, so who knows what his idea was. Pikachu then points out a silhouette traveling through the water below them, surfacing in front of Lapras, revealing itself as a giant submarine. This one, however, is a normal one and not Team Rocket's Magikarp. An older man with wild hair, large eyebrows, and a giant mustache emerges from it. He rapidly sets up a bunch of research equipment, taking some readings before noticing our heroes, informing them that oh, they're just in time for rush hour, and promises an incredible event. If my observations are correct, we're about to see one of the most astounding scenes ever seen on the seas. Now we'll see what we shall see. I wonder what this guy's talking about. Initially confused, the group decides to hang around and witness the seas becoming rougher, large and speedy splashes coming right at them. These torrents are revealed to be Magikarp, a giant school of them filling the ocean. Tracy then notices that a lot of them have colored bands on their tail fins. The mustache man then quickly packs up and speeds off, leaving a very confused group behind. Tracy believes that the Magikarp are heading towards Rhind Island, deciding to follow and see what's going on. Arriving, they then see the Magikarp swim up a river, wondering what's going on in amazement before the mustache guy returns. Oh, just what I've been looking for. Non-union labor. Come on, there's no time to organize now. One for you, one for you, one for you, and one for Chu. Now, follow me. Forcing these children into labor, he takes them upstream. Misty asks who he is, with the man introducing himself as Quincy T. Quackenpoker, a Pokemon watcher specializing in Magikarp. 
Tracy then excitedly knew he recognized the name, exclaiming that if Quagginpoker finds value in Magikarp, then he should be able to as well. The Watcher then runs ahead, the trio eventually becoming tired out, Misty and Ash unsure what the value of Magikarp watching is. Tracy, meanwhile, watches Quincy use some machinery to get rapid readings on the fish. Tracy inquires if the tail bands were his doing, the man confirming it, saying that the color represents how long ago the Magikarp left the island. After being rudely interrupted by Tracy, Quackenpoker then tells the trio his theory that the Magikarp leave the island to swim around the sea, strengthening themselves to return once a year and attempt to swim up the river. I'm just going to play this scene because it almost feels like a ghost stories dub level of sarcasm. Tracy, I'd imagine a young Pokemon watcher like yourself must find all of this pretty interesting. Well, sure, but how'd you know I was a Pokemon watcher? Well, with that sketchbook you carry around with you and those binoculars, I just put two and two together. Clever, eh? I'd say that's really clever, Dr. Quackenpoker. I've hardly ever seen something that clever. Well, thank you, but it's only logical that a skilled Pokemon watcher would also be a skilled people watcher. Say, now that the plot's come to a screeching halt, why don't I take a look at your sketchbook? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Team Rocket then watches the Magikarp and Twerps, Meowth dismissing the fish as not worth their time. However, Jesse disagrees, pointing out that Magikarp evolve into Gyarados, suggesting they grab a bunch of Magikarp and train them up to evolve, then they'll have an unstoppable Gyarados army. Dismissing James's comment about not having luck with Gyarados in the past, Jesse excitedly convinces the two of her plan. Misty, meanwhile, is marveling at the Magikarp swimming up the waterfalls, some having more trouble than others. Around 50%, according to Quackenpoker. At the top of the waterfall, the rocket trio await with butterfly nets at the ready. Get ready, and remember, don't swing till you see the scales on their tails. Jess, wouldn't it be easy to catch them in Pokeballs? James, Pokeballs cost money, which is something we're out of. Anger is no excuse for ending a sentence with two prepositions. As the Magikarp swim up, James manages to catch one. But as he's celebrating, it flops out of the net. The evil trio attempt to grab it, but end up falling into the water with the fish, being rapidly washed downstream. Ash hears their cries and worries that someone's in trouble. Quackenpoker, however, threatens that Ash will be the one in trouble if he misses part of the Magikarp evolution, insisting that they move on while the trio is surprised that an evolution is going to happen. At the top of the trail, the group watch the Magikarp idly swim around a large pond. Ash whining that it's taking too long for them to evolve. The Watcher informs him that even of the Magikarp who reach the top, not all are going to evolve, needing to become even stronger for next year. As the day passes, they all sit down to eat, Quackenpoker saying he's never seen a more symbiotic relationship between person and Pokemon than Ash and Pikachu, the two communicating very well. He also shows Misty that Togepi really enjoys having their front spike pet. Tracy is surprised that the man knows so much about other Pokemon. Magikarp aren't the only Pokemon you know about, are they, Dr. Quackenpoker? <laughs> oh, Pokemon interests me, but Magikarp are my favorites by far. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. When I was a boy, I woke up one morning and I saw a Magikarp in my pajamas. How a Magikarp got in my pajamas? I'll never know. Magikarp. 
At night, Ash and Misty sleep while Tracy discusses theories with Quack and Poker. He believes that Magikarp jump out and use the sun for guidance, but the more experienced watcher points out that even Magikarp that can't jump out of the water are still able to tell when to return to the island. After 50 years of watching Pokemon, I still find Magikarp hard to understand. Even harder to understand than my income tax return. Ash and Misty waking up, they all watch as the Magikarp enter into a frenzy, Quack and Poker explaining that the Magikarp sense something exciting is going to happen. Expecting an evolution, they're alarmed to see the water churning up, grabby arms snatching the Magikarp from below. They're then dropped right into the interior of Team Rocket's Magikarp sub. Initially loving their success, they snag so many that it fills up the vessel, causing them to begin to sink. In response, they desperately throw some back out. On the surface, our heroes worriedly wonder where all the Pokemon went. Before the Magikarp subsurfaces, Team Rocket giving their motto. While Ash and Misty stand around yawning, Quack and Poker looking to Tracy for some kind of explanation, and not getting any. Quack and Poker demands the Magikarp be released. Jesse chiming in that if he wants them so much, he has to catch the fish like they did before throwing some overboard. Concerned for the Magikarp getting hurt by falling like just a few feet into ankle deep water, our heroes rush to catch them. Taking advantage of the chaos, Meowth then grabs Pikachu in a glass case as well. Ash tries to have Pikachu use Thunderbolt, despite him knowing by now that it really wouldn't work in the glass case. But Quackenpoker demands that he not do that, saying it hurt the innocent Magikarp. Ash then does a cool kick trick to send out Bulbasaur, instead of just putting down the Magikarp he's still holding. Bulbasaur tries to use Vine Whip to grab Pikachu, but Team Rocket keeps tossing the rodent between each other until Bulbasaur somehow gets itself stuck in the air in front of the submarine, Ash recalling it before it can fall. However, while the rockets gloat at their victory, James realizes that a Magikarp's mouth is stuck around his head and begins to panic! The other two try to pull it off, but Quackenpoker warns that they just pulled James's head off his body before the fish came loose. He then climbs up to the bad man. Ash and Tracy, having suddenly teleported onto the land, follow the Watcher into the water, finally dropping the fish. Quack and Poker then gently rubs the Magikarp's dorsal fin, causing it to relax and pop free. Jesse, James, and Meowth all hug each other in joy. Until Ash thanks the Magikarp for the distraction, now holding and fleeing with Pikachu. But before either side can react further, the Magikarp in the experienced Watcher's hands begins to glow, the man setting it into the water to swim off. The whole pond then glows a bright white, shooting a beam of light into the sky, everyone watching in awe as a whirlpool, and then a giant vortex tower form in the center, causing Team Rocket to be thrown into the sky! Magikarp then fly out of the vortex, evolving into Gyarados mid-fall. As the Gyarados and Magikarp begin to swim back out to the stream, Quackenpoker recruits Tracy to count the red and blue banded ones, tossing him some click counters. The group chases them downstream, the two watchers running and clicking simultaneously until they reach a cliff on the sea, watching the school of Pokemon swim off into the horizon. Comparing numbers, the two find that 70% of the Magikarp evolved, Quack and Poker saying that's the highest ratio to date, both watches congratulating each other on the findings, thanking the other one for the help. 
The group then watches the sunrise. Ash randomly saying, You know, Pikachu, if we work hard, I know we can win the Orange League. Misty saying her and Togepi will root for him all the way. Okay, thanks for that, I guess. Way to ignore and devalue your friend being excited with his hobby. After one more shot of the group watching the sun, we then see the Rocket Trio regretting their decisions as a swarm of Gyarados circle the rock pillar they're stuck on, in a very similar manner to the Pikahuna episode. If not for Quack and Poker's dub, this episode would have been kind of bland. But this guy sounds like he's right out of the fourth wall wit of like Animaniacs or something. He saves what would have been an okay episode leaning on the eh side to an okay episode leading on the pretty good side. And seeing another watcher helps the world feel a little bit more alive than just Tracy being the only one. Too bad we never see another one, yay! Other than him, seeing Magikarp's natural life cycle was kind of fun, but that didn't really carry the episode well on its own. And that's about it for this one. Let's move on, yay! Episode 110, The Stun Spore Detour. Synopsis. After an accident involving a vile plume, Ash and Tracy become gravely ill. With no medical help around, it's up to Misty to locate some kind of cure. Ash and his friends have stopped at some random island so the boy can train for the Orange League. Him and Pikachu stand on some rocks by the shore, hyping each other up until a giant wave crashes onto the rocks and falls over them. Tracy, meanwhile, gets up close to a friendly vile plume in order to sketch it. And despite Professor Ivy showing that tropical vile plume have different colors, this one is just normal pattern. Ash, returning from his hype session, accidentally trips on a pebble with a poorly timed phrasing. Hey, Tracy, do you think you could help me with my training now? I'm kind of getting off to a rocky start. <laughs> Ash and Tracy fall headfirst into the vile plume's flowers, and after trying to get unstuck, are blasted point-blank with a stun spore. Pikachu rushes to a nearby Misty, begging for help, but struggles to get his message across. Thankfully, Misty sees what's wrong when a very shaky and weak Ash and Tracy appear, explaining what happened. Bringing them to some random cabin that they just found, I guess, Misty sets them up with some blankets. Unfortunately, they neglected to pick up any stun spore antidotes, and their first aid kit only consists of band-aids. Misty then decides that she'll just have to go to the nearest Pokemon Center, but becomes increasingly worried when she learns it's on another island 30 miles away. Pikachu tries to cheer her up, and Misty promises that they'll find a cure together. Pikachu then prepares to electrocute Ash and Tracy the Consciousness, but Misty quickly stops him. Ash then weakly calls out for Misty. Feeling his head, she realizes his fever is worsening and quickly gets some wet towels to put on their head. Tracy, through his illness, suggests that Misty use the Pokedex to look up Vileplume and find an antidote. The device tells her that an effective cure can be made by boiling the Salveo weed, which is generally found at the bottom of Clearwater Lakes that Vileplume and Poliwags live near. Telling Pikachu to take care of the trainers while she's gone, Misty sets out with Togepi to find the plant. Elsewhere, James and Meowth struggle to reach an apple, standing on a branch with Meowth on the human's shoulders. It's eventually grabbed, just as the branch they're on breaks, causing them to plummet to the ground. Whoever it was who said apples are healthy must have never picked one. 
They go to another dinkier cabin, giving the apple to an ailing Jessie, who shakily says that her fever's gotten worse, but it does give her skin a pretty nice color. James suggests that Jessie is overreacting just a little bit, but she plays the boo-hoo, I'm beautiful and fragile and I may die like that wilted leaf outside. Jesse, all you did was sniff a little vile plume stun spore. You just stuck your nose where it didn't belong. <laughs> a fantastic field of fragrant flowers! <laughs> James then remembers that when he was a wee lad, he accidentally got sick from stun spore too. His grandpapa then used some salvia weed to cure him. Jesse then starts beating him up, yelling that he could have thought of that sooner, before remembering that she's supposed to be super sick and jumping back under the blanket. Meowth, resigned to her theatrics, says that they better just go and grab the weed. Cutting back to Misty, she's shifting around at the bottom of a small pond, unable to find neither the weed nor the polywags, deciding to check elsewhere while Ash and Tracy seem to grow even more ill. James and Meowth, dressed in some traditional Japanese forager getup to disguise themselves, also fail to find the target plant. However, a polywag shows itself to them, the salvia weed stuck to its tail! James remembers that his grandpapa used Polywag to find the weed before, and instead of him or Meowth just asking the clearly friendly Polywag for the weed, James sends out Victory Bell, who after a quick pursuit of James, charges at the Polywag. The amphibian jumps out of the way, dodging subsequent razor leaves. Meowth then tries to catch it in the foraging basket, jumping and landing on the wild Pokemon, holding it down. But when James and Meowth argue over their costumes, Poliwag uses this opportunity to shake them off, fleeing into the brush. Misty then comes across it, the tiny Pokemon hiding behind her legs in fear of the rockets who run up to her, now out of costume. Misty refuses to hand the Pokemon over, a confrontation brewing. James then six victory bell on her, Misty sending out Goldeen, which dodges the razor leaf attack as it flies into a nearby water stream. James demands his plant dive in after it, but Goldeen surprises it with a horn attack, following it up by bouncing the grass type up and down with a fury attack, causing James to recall it. This, by the way, is the only time Goldeen ever wins a battle on screen. He then decides to send out Weezing, Misty countering with Staryu. Both Pokemon begin tackling each other, Weezing eventually using Smog. Staryu then uses Double Edge, launching Weezing off into the horizon somewhere. Taking matters into his own hands, Meowth charges with his claws out, but Misty sends out Psyduck. Meowth's scratch attack lands, and he follows by biting Psyduck's head. Misty then excitedly hopes for Psyduck's headache to worsen. Come on, get worse, get worse! And after it panics for a few moments, its psychic powers then awaken. It uses confusion to launch Meowth right into James, sending them crashing into the woods, the two lamenting that now they're losing to not only Ash, but his friends as well. Despite the fact that his friends have kicked their butts plenty of times. Briefly worried at the idea of returning to Jesse empty-handed, James makes an offhanded comment about how you'd think kids would have stuff on their minds besides Pokemon, giving Meowth an idea. Misty heals the small injuries Poliwag has, the tadpole seeming to buddy up to her in Togepi. 
Taking this opportunity, Misty does what Team Rocket should have done and just asks Poliwag where the weed is, showing it the picture. The Pokemon then dives into the water. Misty momentarily worried it's fleeing, but it resurfaces with the herb in its mouth. Learning that there's more at the bottom of the lake, Misty takes Staryu down and begins picking handfuls of the Salveo weed. Having collected a sizable bundle, Misty thanks the Poliwag and begins to head back to her group, but notices Poliwag following. Misty apologizes for not being able to play, offering to come back later instead. But the Pokemon nuzzles up to her, Misty instead offering for it to return with her, the Poliwag accepting. Pikachu continues to care for the sick boys, hoping Misty returns soon. Misty, meanwhile, excitedly hypes up her friends and their Pokemon, Team Rocket giddily watching her as they wait for their traps to work. Along the path, Misty sees a tea set and picnic on a blanket right in the middle of it. Wondering who left it, she walks a bit further, next seeing makeup on the blanket as well. Almost falling for it and stepping into a pitfall, she changes her mind at the last second, knowing that her friend's health is more important and moving on. This happens twice more with snacks and dresses, Misty saying that whoever uses this road has some good taste, but continues to return to her friends. James and Meowth are furious their plan is failing, James wondering if maybe they shouldn't have based the girls' likes on Jessie's preferences. However, they have one more plan to try. Misty continues her walk, still talking about the group's Pokemon, almost feeling like a Spongebob joke at this point, even repeating the names now. James, dressed as a Victorian woman and pushing the stroller, asks Misty to help with a Southern Belle accent. Oh, pardon me, miss. Can I help you? Perhaps. Would what you're carrying by any chance be something called Salveo weed? Yes. It's just... It's just that my baby inhaled fine bloom sun spore. Well, that's terrible. My poor precious honey child hasn't been able to move even one little old bitty muscle for days. But the worst of all is my sweet pea can't smile. Oh, if I could only find a hunk of that Salveo weed, I'd boil it up, my precious angel could drink it down, and I could see that smile one more time. That's the saddest story I ever heard. We gotta do something to help that baby. That baby? Sounds like Meow. <laughs> well, at least I fooled you. That's because you're a fool. Yeah, I played that whole scene, but face it, it was great. The two then give their motto, Meowth doing Jesse's part while James continues his falsetto. They demand Misty hand over the weed to cure Jesse, James then sending out Weezing, who I guess fell back to Earth at some point. Poliwag jumps in front of Misty, blocking the tackle from Weezing before countering with a double slap, using its tail, knocking Weezing into James, who is also knocked back into Meowth, all of them falling into the baby carriage and rolling away down a hill. A bit later, James and Meowth climb back up a cliff, sadly wondering how they're going to help Jesse. Until they notice a pile of Salveo weed kindly left for them by Misty. As the girl runs back to her companions, she tells her Pokemon that, despite their trickery, the two also just wanted to help their friend and deserve a bit of a break. The two rockets walk away with the weeds, crying, saying how lucky the twerps are to have a friend like her. Misty finally reaches the cabin, Pikachu welcoming her back. She gets to work quickly, boiling the weeds and giving her friends the Salveo tea, Tracy's line oddly getting cut off. Team Rocket does the same, preparing the antidote for Jessie. 
When she recovers, she realizes that Misty must have been searching by herself because the other two are also ill, accusing James and Meowth of wasting valuable time they could have used to steal Pikachu. She forces the two of them to move out, but they seem very reluctant to harm the one who helped them, at least for now. Ash and Tracy recover fully as well, just in time for Arbok to fly through their wall and then back out the other one. Good thing this isn't their cabin. Rushing outside, Ash is confronted by Jesse, our hero sending out Pikachu in a counterattack. Pikachu easily dodges the poison sting, Jesse yelling at her snake for it while James and Meowth hide behind a rock. Pikachu uses Thundershock, sending an electrified Arbok right into Jesse, stunning her with electricity. Wonder if that weed'll cure a thundershock. <laughs> I think what you really need, Jesse, is something that'll cure a terminal case of ingratitude. <laughs> Thanks again! Uh, I mean, we're blasting off again! They keep getting weirder. Dang, nice zinger. Misty is happy her friends are well, Ash and Tracy thanking her for the help. She deflects their compliments to Poliwag, Ash and Tracy saying the girl and Pokemon make a good team. Misty probably catching it off screen at the end of the episode, since it's just now always with her. Ash thanks Misty again for her kindness. Misty warns him not to get used to it, and Ash continues his trek towards the Orange League finale. I feel that, compared to the Quack and Poker episode, this is a much better breather before the finale to the Orange League. It's got some stakes and good goofs in it without really slowing its roll too much, but also without being overwhelming. Plus, it's another Misty episode and a new Pokemon Get episode, which makes for a nice change in pace. Really shows off Misty's, like, semi-hidden caring side, too. I do think it's kind of funny, though, that by this point in the series, they kind of knew to give up on Tracy. Like, unless you count the Quack and Poker episode as Tracy-focused, which I kind of don't, I think it's more Quack and Poker-focused, he does not get any love at all by the end of the Orange Islands, the creative team probably knowing Brock is coming back by now. But yeah, this is a pretty solid episode, and leads decently well into... Episode 111. Hello, Pomelo! Synopsis. Finally arriving on the last island of the Orange League, Ash begins to face off against the supreme gym leader, Drake. Ash and his friends approach Pomelo Island, with a large stadium visible on the top of its hill. Ash is confident that nothing will be able to stop him now as he then trips and falls off Lapras. Embarrassedly climbing back on, he and his friends witness a Dragonite speeding around the ocean. And, fun fact, while the music from the first movie has played a couple of times over the Orange Islands, this is probably the most recognizable one, as it fittingly plays Dragonite's Flight. Upon arriving, Ash and Ko go right to some kind of official league building. The guy scans the badges like a barcode, and somehow verifies they're legit. Maybe they have some kind of chip inside them, I don't know. While Ash and the League Man talk in the background, Tracy sketches a nearby Dragonite statue, remarking that it looks familiar. Despite him having seen Dragonite through his binoculars like 10 minutes ago in-universe. The clerk gives Ash the time and place, our hero ready to run off and prepare. I think you're forgetting something. Oh yeah? Like what? Like directions to the stadium? Uh... <laughs> the man kindly guides them to the stadium. I mean, fair, better safe to ask and not assume, but if there was one place I'd bet is the league stadium, it'd be the giant obscenely visible stadium. 
The clerk also shows them the Palace of Victory, more commonly known as the Orange League Hall of Fame. Tracy notices more Dragonite statues, while the man shows Ash previous winners, each one having a picture taken with their team, the trainer and their Pokemon also leaving a handprint on some cement to go with it. He explains that, along with getting all four badges, the victors also all had to win against the Pomelo leader in a full battle, one where each trainer uses a full team of six Pokemon, stunning Ash. But Misty's reminder that he'll be in the Hall of Fame forever psychs him up again. The clerk also mentions that the reason the gym battles were so different was to prove that trainers were not only capable battlers, but strong teammates as a whole, rightfully earning their immortalized spot. Tracy then asks about the Dragonite, learning that it's the guardian of the island. Tracy finally realizing that it was a Dragonite he saw very clearly. The clerk says it must have been the gym leader's Pokemon getting some training. The rest of the group surprised. He goes on to mention that the Dragonite is the reason no one's been able to beat Drake, the Pomelo Supreme Gym Leader, wishing Ash luck in his attempt. In the stadium, a man, Drake himself, wonders if there will ever be a challenger strong enough to beat them, giving him the excitement he wants so much. And yes, Drake is kind of just a more punk-looking bootleg Lance, since the Dragon Tamer hasn't really shown up yet. Dragonite returns to his trainer, but Team Rocket appears behind them, snidely remarking, that's a nice looking Pokemon you've got there. After their motto, Drake tells them that they have to beat the gyms before they can challenge him. However, the trio inform him that they could care less about the battling, only wanting the Dragonite threatening an unamused Drake. He then calmly tells Dragonite to use Hyper Beam, blowing Team Rocket up into the sky. Outside the island's Pokemon Center, Ash sends out his entire team, all of them using their signature move. On Snorlax, who refuses to wake up. Maybe you should have tried to wake up Snorlax before we got to the Pokemon Center. Thanks for your advice, but when I need it, I'll ask for it. Despite its potential strength in battle, I think Ash learned his lesson with Charizard in the Indigo League and didn't want to take any risks with Pokemon that may sleep on him. Joy approaches, asking what the commotion's about. Learning that Snorlax won't wake up, and that it ate just an hour ago, she tells Ash it's probably gonna be out for a hot minute. Hearing that news, Ash worriedly calls up Professor Oak, unsure what Pokemon he should switch out, especially since he doesn't know what team his opponent will use. Oak suggests Kingler and Muck, both of whom won Ash a league battle before, but also adds that one of his 30 Tauros could also potentially work. Surprising his friends, Ash decides to pick Tauros, the bull seeming very happy with the choice. While switching Snorlax out on the transporter, Misty warns Ash that he's never battled with Tauros before. However, the boy's reasoning is simple. He won a battle with just Kingler its first time being used, so why not see if beginner's luck works again? Oak wishes our hero luck, and Ash welcomes Tauros to the team. At sunset, Team Rocket trudges along the beach, angrily wondering how to steal a Dragonite. They then hear a loudspeaker on the van announce the match at Pomelo Stadium the next day. Free admission! Meowth then has a devious idea. Let whoever the challenger is soften up Dragonite for them and nab it in the dragon's weakened state. The next day, a packed stadium cheers as Ash and Drake walk out to engage in battle. The two meet in the center, shaking each other's hands, Drake complimenting Ash on making it as far as he did before beginning their battle. 
The referee reiterates the rules about a 6v6 and adds that whenever three Pokemon from either side are knocked down, there will be a field change. The first arena is revealed to be one full of rocks and boulders with a small pool of water in the center. He also tells Ash that Drake is not allowed to switch Pokemon preemptively, but Ash can switch them out as often as he likes. Team Rocket watches the match from outside, simultaneously horrified and happy that Ash is the challenger. Drake starts the battle with Ditto, Ash choosing Pikachu. As expected, Ditto transforms into Pikachu and withstands the Rodent's thunder, countering with its own. Both of the Chews then thundershock each other, the rocks underneath them crumbling. While Ash's mouse falls and is battered by the rocks, the Ditto easily jumps down the debris to safety. As the announcer tells the crowd that a lot of trainers don't even make it past Ditto, Pikachu struggles to rise to its feet. Misty tells Ash to switch Pikachu out, but he refuses, saying Ditto will just copy and outperform whoever he chooses again. But Ash is confident that a copy can't beat the real deal, something he also said last time he fought a Ditto, right before it easily beat Bulbasaur. Ditto uses agility, Pikachu thunderbolting and missing. Ditto then uses thunder, but mimicking the strategy it used against Lieutenant Surge, Pikachu flops onto the ground, tail in the air, safely grounding the attack against it. Ash has Pikachu use quick attack as well, Ditto countering with their own again, both clashing with sparks in the middle of the arena, each falling injured. Then, charging up electricity in his tail, Pikachu gives an electrified tail whip that knocks Ditto out, winning Ash the first battle. Tracy realizes that the reason Pikachu won was simply because he was in better physical condition than his opponent. Drake congratulates Ash on the first round, sending out Onix for his next Pokemon. Ash recalls Pikachu, sending out Squirtle next, Drake smugly saying that's just what he thought Ash would do. Squirtle starts with Water Gun, but Onix digs out of the way. Ash tells his Pokemon to quickly dive into the water in the center, but Onix resurfaces and hits the turtle before it can make it. Squirtle continues to run for the pool, but Onix binds them. The turtle, unable to use Water Gun from the constriction, then uses Withdraw. Drake declares this round his, but then Ash commands Squirtle to use Hydro Pump. Launching a blast of water from its shell openings, the Onix is hit. Drake tells it to dig again, but Squirtle spins its way to freedom, stunning the rock snake with the attack. Ash then tells Squirtle to finish it with a Skull Bash, knocking Onyx out and bringing Ash one Pokemon closer to winning. Drake is pleasantly surprised by Ash's performance, declaring that he doesn't stand the ghost of a chance with his next choice, Gengar. Ash calls back Squirtle, Tracy giving him a warning that even in Gen 1 is pretty false. Watch out! There aren't any Pokémon that are really strong against Ghost-types like Gengar! That's right! Oh well, now's as good a time as any for a little beginner's luck! I just want to note that in the original version, Tracy tells Ash to use a Psychic or Ground-type, which is why Ash sends out Tauros. In the dub, Ash is just like, No weaknesses? Huh, that sucks. Well, might as well see if I get lucky, hee <laughs> Ash starts by telling Tauros to use Fisher, shaking Gengar around a bit before a beam of force launches itself towards the ghost. However, it manages to jump and levitate out of the way, something it can't do in-game yet, but it does become an ability later. Gengar then uses Confusion Ray, causing Tauros to go into a frenzy, ramming into the battlefield's rocks, Ash having no choice but to recall it. 
Not really sure what else to do. Ash decides that ice moves might work and sends out Lapras. Gengar uses hypnosis, but Lapras ducks under the water to avoid it. Surfacing, it counters with a water gun. Gengar then uses Nightshade, Lapras using Ice Beam, both attacks clashing and exploding in the air, ending the episode in a cliffhanger. I actually can very much appreciate them making this a multi-parter. While multiple episode-length battles start to get a bit overused later, some gym leaders getting the middle of their match split in half, I think it's definitely deserved and needed for big finale matches like this, especially with what events follow next episode, something the Indigo League kind of missed out on due to how they decided to handle it. I also don't know how they did it, but this is another episode that I think really has a healthy balance of battling and not battling, each never feeling like it took up too much time. And, like I said earlier, I do think Drake was supposed to be like kind of a stand-in for Lance, since Lance doesn't show up in the Gen 1 anime. You know, he's got the hair, the Dragonite, the toughness, and is considered the final gatekeeper to the championship. Lance's little brother, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? So yeah, so far the final battle in the Orange League has been great. This is a very solid episode. Wowzers, Zowzers, what a cliffhanger we got there, don't you think? If you want to know what happens, just tune in next episode, and I'll tell you all about it, and then all the stuff afterwards, too. It'll be a blast! And you know what you can do to make it even more of a blast? Well, you can tell your friends, family, dog, Arcanine, whatever, that this thing exists, and they can watch, too, and you can all talk about it together! Talk about the anime that's, um, 23 years old now, I think. Even more, actually. I It's like 25 or something, isn't it? Christ. And also make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever your platform uses to keep up with the podcast because uh, that also does cool stuff. I don't know what, I'm sure something cool happens when you click it, but I can't make any promises. And if you also want to stay up to date on releases on Elon's Hell site, you can follow me on Twitter at Wanaveri. That's for the uh, the podcast itself, but my actual account is at uh, GuysMister if you want to follow that too. I'm not going to stop you. And with that, I thank you and bid you adieu. Have a great morning, day, evening, night, outside of space-time, whatever. Just have a good one. Bye. Bye.